Everybody, 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 drop your box. Earl Cole was a 35-year-old advertising executive when he was marooned along with 18 other contestants for Survivor's first of many outings to Fiji. After building an elaborate camp together, complete with a couch, a kitchen, and an outhouse, the contestants were divided into the Moto and Ravu tribes, or as they were known respectively, the haves and have-nots. Earl was sorted into the Ravu tribe and was forced to start afresh without any of the luxuries provided to the Moto tribe. To the surprise of no one, the Ravu tribe suffered as a result of the lack of resources at their camp, and they experienced a streak of challenge losses. However, those losses did allow Earl and his ally Yao Man to secure clues to the whereabouts of the hidden immunity idol during their trips to Exile Island. On day 15, Earl was swapped to the Moto tribe. Here, Earl formed the Syndicate Alliance, which included Yao Man, Michelle Yi, and Cassandra Franklin. At the Moto camp, Earl helped to distract the tribe while Yao Man found the hidden immunity idol. The new Moto tribe won a streak of immunity challenges, helping Earl to secure a spot in the merge. Unfortunately, a merge twist split the new Bula Bula tribe in half, resulting in the loss of one of Earl's closest allies, Michelle. After dreams revealed that Alex had the second hidden immunity idol, Earl and his syndicate alliance pulled off a blindside which resulted in the idol being flushed and Edgardo being sent home. From there, the syndicate alliance was able to vote out all of the remaining members of the rival Four Horsemen alliance. At the final six, Earl found himself in a strong position, having found the re-hidden immunity idol. At a reward challenge, Yao Man made a deal with Dreams, giving him the reward of a new truck in exchange for immunity at the final four. However, after Jeff announced that three contestants would face the jury at final tribal council, Dreams reneged on his deal, and Earl joined Cassandra and Dreams in voting Yao Man out, securing their places at the final tribal council. At the final tribal, Earl, who had declared himself the king of Fiji on day one, took home the title of Soul Survivor and the Million Dollar Prize. Earl had only seen one episode of Survivor prior to playing and winning Survivor Fiji. He is the first black man to win the title of Soul Survivor. He is the first person to win with a unanimous jury vote. And he's appeared on Shark Tank and more recently, Snake in the Grass. We're thrilled to have him here on Drop Your Buffs. Welcome, Earl Cole. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for being here. We're very excited. We are trying to secure the survivor players that are hard to get. And you are uh, very particular about who you do your interviews with. And so we're very grateful for your time. No problem. Yes, absolutely. So you played Survivor at a time when many contestants were being recruited to play. I've heard that you only watched one episode before going out to Fiji. First of all, is that true? And second, how did you find yourself cast on Survivor Fiji? Well, it is definitely true that I had only seen one episode, and that was only because when we were uh, sequestered, they gave me a DVD to watch one episode. I think I saw Cook Islands or something like that. And that was it. It didn't explain the rules. I didn't understand what I was watching. It looked cool and, and adventurous. And that was it. So that was my 
way of going into the game, not knowing the rules, not knowing how to play. I just knew that it was a lot of chaos on an island. So that part is true. I'd only seen one episode. Um, the rest of your question was what? What did you ask me? Was How did you find yourself on Survivor? Uh, interesting. Um, the girl I was dating at the time, we were on a date. And we were in Santa Monica, California. At a, We had just walked into this restaurant. And uh, mind you, you know, the girl I was dating, who is now my wife, it's very striking, you know, very tall, beautiful woman. And a casting director came up to us and said, like, wow, you guys, are you guys together? And we were like, you know, we're just like on our third date or something like that. And uh, the casting director, which is Lynn Spillman, you know, the uh, famous legendary casting director, said, uh, you guys would be great on The Amazing Race. Uh, <laughs> immediately, uh, uh, Shelly is her name said like, no way I could do that, you know, cause she's a pharmacist and has patients and like that. And, you know, she's not into that kind of thing. And I was like, well, I guess we can't do it. And she said, well, uh, Lynn said, I'll keep you in mind for something in the future, maybe. And I think it might've been two weeks later, she called and said, someone dropped out of survivor. We need someone right away. Are you interested? And I was like, what survivor? You mean that island show? I was really like the island show. I was on my way to work. She was like, yeah, it'd be the best thing you've ever done in your life. I was like, I don't know anything about that. And I was on my way to work and, you know, I said, I'll think about it. And I went and I told my boss at my job and he was like, you know what? You might not ever get a, a chance like this in your life. Go for it. He said, just make sure you win. And, I, and, and that was it. And that was on a thursday or a friday and i had to do all of my testing with c uh, cbs i think that saturday and then i was gone on sunday and i didn't even know i was going to fiji until i actually got to the hotel and they said oh and you're by the way you're going to fiji i had no idea where i was going and that's kind of how it happened well you followed through on uh his his what he told you he said go out there and win and, and you sure did um yeah. I want to table set where Survivor was as a franchise at that point. You have seasons one through eight, which are very clearly bookended by an all-star season. And then you have a few seasons right after that really failed to create those larger-than-life characters that Survivor had become known for, save for maybe Stephanie LaGrosa. But then you get season 13, which preceded your season, which in many senses not only reignited interest in the show, but really kicked off the new era of Survivor. I know you weren't a big fan of the show at the time, but when you look back at it now, how do you position Fiji within the larger arc of the show? Uh, with the entire franchise? Yeah. I would say Fiji was groundbreaking uh, as far as that was like this. I think it was the even though Cook Islands was the first true diversity efforts that they had when they split it up by races like that, you know, that was definitely controversial. But we were the first season to where it wasn't split up that way. It was just equal numbers all the way around. So it was like truly this melting pot of people from different backgrounds and whatnot. And so I think that was groundbreaking having something like that for the first time. You know, mind you, no one liked the twist of the haves and the have-nots. Uh, I didn't know any difference. It, it didn't even matter to me. It was all have not, you know, because I didn't have my normal things I have in life. So I didn't understand why people didn't like that until I started watching other seasons. Like, oh, okay, I can see why, you know, it, it definitely was an unfair advantage. But, you know, I was used to that anyway, having an unfair advantage in life at a lot of times. So 
it still did not make the show any easier. I tell people like, okay, just because you didn't like the twist, it was still hard. It was still starvation, water deprivation. It was dealing with the elements, dealing with the chaos of the people, all the different personalities. It had all of the ingredients of a normal survivor. So it was still a great game to play and adventurous and fun. Well, something else unique about Fiji was that it's the only season to begin with 19 contestants instead of the usual 16, 18, 20. I'm sure that you've gotten this question before, but Melissa McNulty, uh, who is the woman who dropped out right before the marooning, uh, one of our listeners, Dylan, wants to know, did you see Melissa while you were out there waiting for the game to start? Did you know that her dropping out did it feel like that shifted the game at all? I mean, there was these rumors that they were going to do the same split up of the tribes by race. And I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, certainly if it was true, Melissa would have thrown that off, right? Uh, from what I learned, it was definitely not going to be split up by race. It was just going to be mm. equal numbers. I did see her. I mean, because we saw each other all the time. I might have, I'm thinking back 15 years and uh, we all had this gag order where we could see each other, size each other up. We could not talk. And that includes getting our food together, uh, everything. So you would see all these different people. You didn't know who was a producer, part of staff, or who was a cast member. Mm. So, but we could not talk at all. And I remember seeing her, um, and, but I still didn't know when the game was going to begin. I think we were there for about two or three days of not talking to each other. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the night, they said, all right, it's time to go. And like literally like three in the morning, four in the morning, we're on a truck. And we didn't know that, you know, the numbers were unequal until we kind of touched down on the beach. And I didn't see her. And my first thought was, oh, maybe she was just a staff member or something. Like I didn't think much about it until Jeff kind of revealed that our numbers were 19 instead of 20. I said, oh, you know, I learned about her panic attacks and that type of thing. I don't think it would change the game at all, to tell you the mm -hmm. truth. It would have still been what it what it was. I'm just wondering one about more, that period. Oh, go ahead. I was saying one more person to vote out. <laughs> exactly. I'm wondering about that like two day period though, in which you're seeing all these people, and like you said, you don't know whether or not they're players or whether or not they might be on production. But like first impressions are real. And was there a part of you that was like looking around and seeing certain people and saying, "I might want a game with them. That's someone that might be a threat to me. I'm going to go after them." Like was that was that happening in your head? You got to think, I didn't have that mindset yet. I didn't understand threats and these different scenarios, and I didn't have anything to reference. So they were just people to me. Like, I had no idea. It's like, hey, I just, I'll find out once the game starts and what this is and who this person is. But, you know, I didn't know if, if you had, to, did it matter if you were bigger or smaller or male or female? I had no idea. Uh, or if someone was sneaky, you, you definitely cannot tell just by looking at people. Because I think, I remember Edgardo, I remember seeing him, and I thought he was a tennis player. I don't know why, but I could say, like, oh, that guy looks like a tennis player or something. Like, maybe he, you know, is athletic, you know. And uh, other people, I think uh, Liliana, I had no idea she was, like, a Marine. But, you know, I, I thought she could was a chef or something. I had no idea. Cause, but I know she would hate that I say that because she actually gained, I think, 15, 20 pounds ahead of time and preparing, preparing for Survivor. So I remember her telling me that, like, wow, people do that? Like, I literally had no training whatsoever. I literally went from work and then to Fiji. Wow. I have to ask about two other people because we heard from Courtney Yates from China and Heroes vs. Villains that she told us that 
Amanda Kimmel and Todd made it to the finals of casting for Fiji. I'm just wondering, but then you were brought in at the very last minute. So I was just curious if you had any run-ins or if you saw them or if you would even remember seeing them, not knowing who they were at the time, of course. Uh, you gotta, um, you know, my experience was different since I was a last minute replacement. I didn't see anyone. Hmm. Like even when I was on the plane to Fiji, I wouldn't know if someone was going to be a part of the show or they were just someone going to Fiji. So I did not know who was a part of the show until we actually uh, were at our campsite uh, before the game started. You know, where they were just feeding us and telling us, you know, survivor rules. So don't know. Amanda could have been there. Todd could have been there. Don't know. But I was glad to see that they were on there the following season. You know, yeah. great, great people, great contestants. So as a result of Melissa's quit, Survivor Fiji is and remains the most diverse cast in Survivor history. And I'm wondering, which I have to say, I think is a fact that often gets erased in yeah. a lot of the discussions about the show. Um, I'm wondering what your reaction was to seeing the diversity of the cast when you first arrived. And were you aware at the time of the show having a reputation of being overwhelmingly white? Uh, I was not aware of what preceded me being on the show. Um, I did notice like, wow, this is a very colorful show. I, I didn't know that that was unique. Um, I did remember seeing an article one time about, you know, the controversy of season 13 about splitting up by race. And I, I know it didn't work out. I'd heard that from somebody that it didn't work out in the end. I don't think we got to see the finale, anything like that. Uh, but I, I remember I used that as motivation. You know, I said, wow, they split it up by race. And, um, you know, African-Americans didn't do so well. I said, well, I'll use that as motivation to make, make it happen know for this season so yeah i was not aware that uh it was a unique thing and glad to know that that was one of the most diverse seasons and hopefully that continues season after season i think it's nice absolutely yeah well one of our listeners another one of our listeners had a question uh, asking how did you feel about being part of such a groundbreaking and historic whether whether you knew that it was historic or not a survivor moment going into the final tribal council with an all-black final three <laughs> well that was definitely planned from the start. Uh, it was a plan I initiated. Uh, I told you I heard, you know, when I remember that first night, people were talking about Survivor and different episodes they've seen. And I was just basically gathering intelligence because I had no idea. And I remember somebody mentioning about how things didn't work out the season before. And I was like, you know what? I looked at the numbers and said, like, let's try to take all black people to the end. I said, I want to do that. I'm going to see if that's actually possible. So it was that the cookout, you know, which is popular on Big Brother. Before oh, that, we, we did it first. For 100%, we did it first. So I was thinking, like, my plan was to, you know, take all five of us to the end. They do whatever it takes. I said, we can stick together. Maybe we can make history. And it didn't work out. The two We lost two along the way. And it was always somebody when I was on Exile Island or I was not around. Mm. We lost um, uh, Anthony uh, when I when we got split up. We lost Erica when I was on uh, Exile Island. But I was able to keep the other two, and we made it all the way to the end. It was, it was great to see that, you know, because, you know, I learned, obviously, through the many days I was on there on how Survivor had been. And I was glad to kind of change that narrative and have some ownership. Like, hey, you know, we were responsible for this. We made it happen. And I was glad to see it. And, you know, that made me become the, the first African-American male to ever win. But I tell people 
there's a, a pressure that comes with that. And hopefully now, you know, other players of color don't have that same pressure that I did. You know, trying to be the first to do something, you have to dial back your personality a lot of different times to try to navigate other people's personality. You might, might, might think you're a threat. And so you don't get to shine with the charisma you might normally have because you're. I was thinking so much and doing math in my head every moment. I guess it's all all math, math and poker at the same time. Mm. And, um, and it, it all just worked out, but it was a lot of work and a lot of pressure that I said, I have to do this for everybody. I have to, I cannot make any mistakes, but I have to do it in a way to where I'm not stabbing people in the back because I'll be judged for that. I don't want to be a bad guy. I want to be who I am, but play it in such a smart way that they won't even see it come. They won't even know it's happening. It's like a Jedi mind trick. They didn't even know, like, sleep, yes. They didn't even know until I was at the end. I have to wonder, though, because because we, in, in Survivor 41 and 42, where CBS has come out uh, about this initiative of 50% POC casting, uh, which is great and has given us really great casts, and, and finally some historic wins, especially with Marianne in the past season, the first uh, Black woman to win since Vesepia in season four, uh, that these have been big conversations on the show. Um, and so you're saying, well, that was a conversation you had. D did you have that on camera? Did you talk about those in confessionals or what did you make of that not being sort of a part of the narrative of the show? Great question, because I talked about it quite a bit and a lot of it was edited out. There's a lot of things that happened that were edited out. Uh, I definitely hatched that plan probably the day one or day two and i actually i talked to dreams about it first like hey i think we should try this i think it's, it's possible you know, i heard about what happened the season before and i, I want to make this happen you know are you on board and he was on board so we had that bond from the start where it didn't matter what he was going to do after that i knew we had that conversation he knew the importance of it and i said if we can just get everybody on board we can always have this alliance of five that we don't even have to talk about it ever again except for right now. And that was the plan. And there's, it's been, it was talked about on camera. There were even moments that happened in tribal council that I wasn't a part of, but I heard about that uh, were pretty big moments that have to do with, you know, racial, you know, undertones. And that was edited out as well. Definitely edited out. And I don't think CBS was ready for that confrontation yet. They weren't ready to like open up the floodgates. Okay, let's talk about this. So. Well, in many ways, one could say that they're still not. I, I mean, one of the big criticisms going on currently in Big Brother 24 is that there have been some microaggressions that have happened uh, on the live feeds that have not made their way onto the show, which have many people feeling some type of way. But let me ask you, just talking about Big Brother quickly and seeing, you know, how much you talked about the cookout, this historic alliance on Big Brother 23, which brought six black players to the final six, the first black winner on Big Brother, if you can believe it. Um, I'm wondering what it's like from your perspective of having had those same conversations, as you say, 15 years earlier, seeing them edited out and then seeing 15 years later, same network, different show, albeit, but, you know, same mechanism, allowing for these conversations to not only play out, but become integral parts of the narrative. What's, I feel like you have a very unique perspective here. Yeah, I was glad to see what happened on Big Brother. And it, it is hard to believe that... <laughs> All those seasons, they had never had a black winner. It's, it's amazing. But that just shows you, you know, 
how you know America can be and how people can be and what they carry with them and what prejudices they have. So it's a shame that it takes something like a cookout that we have to like collectively say, okay, together we can do this, that we just can't play it normally and just be ourselves. And that's what I tell you, that's the game within the game that we always have to play on these shows. Like we just can't go out there and just be like, I'm just gonna be Earl my normal self and just have a good time and have, make friends with everybody. Like, no, we always have to play, you know, kind of two sides at all times. And so I was glad to see that happen with the cookout. And I said, like, I guess it was so long ago when we did that that people totally forgot that that was our plan. Even though we had, I mean, it's the only time we've ever had three black people at the end of, of Survivor. Uh, to this day, that's never happened. And uh, people forget, but that it's okay. I'm just glad that it at least opened up the door for there to be a cookout and for there to be, you know, other winners after me. It was always about, like, I just want to set this kind of precedent where anybody can win and, and believe they can win. Earl, one of the things that I love about the old school seasons of Survivor was the element of survival and the element of adventure. And I've heard this story, speaking of things that didn't make the air, about you going off to look for some mangoes and getting lost. Can you can you tell us that story? Because I don't know all the details here. That is, uh, I will try to remember what I can. Because uh, we were on Ravu Tribe and we were definitely starving quite a bit. And there wasn't much to forage around like you know we had coconuts here and there you kind of you know you, you open two or three coconuts we had to split it with nine other people you don't get very much and we would catch little crabs we were very hungry i was losing i mean i lost 35 pounds in general in 39 days you know which is wow. insane but i remember seeing this tree far far away and i said i wonder if that's a tree with fruit because we didn't have any fruit trees around us and i said well, it might be a mango tree and it looked closer than what it was i was like i'll just walk over there anybody want to go with me no one wanted to go with me because everybody was just tired and i don't know they didn't have the same sense of exploration and adventure that i had i was like i'm in fiji like i'm on an island this is awesome let's go see what's out there and i kind of like had my walking stick you know like lord of the Rings style and just kind of went up this ravine and you know jumping over cliffs and doing all these things and the cameraman came with me through the bush and i finally made it to the tree and uh, i took a it was literally on a cliff and um i was able to get six mangoes and they were not ripe at all they were small little hard mangoes but i, I was like you know what calories we'll take the calories and so Unlike what we have, you know, in everyday life, you know, there's no street lights, there's no anything to light up the way. Um, so I was walking back and it started getting dark fast. The sun goes down really fast, and it was pitch black all of a sudden. I, and we and I was nowhere near the camp, and you know, and there's spiders, snakes, there's bats, there's everything out there. You hear all kind of <laughs> strange sounds when you can't see anything. And I remember the cameraman was like, you know. I haven't been in this situation before, but we can radio for the helicopter. And I was like, no way we're going to radio for a helicopter. I said, we're men and we're going to do this. Like, we're going to find our way. And, you know, this is Survivor. We're going to make our way down this mountain. And they literally turned the camera off because they had to, because we were, I had my machete and I was chopping through stuff and they were chopping through things just to find a way to get back to the camp. And I used this ravine because I know ravines usually kind of outlet to the, the ocean. 
and it was a dry to ravine. I said, I think that's near the camp. And we just started going down that thing. And it was literally like a, a Scooby-Doo episode. And we were, just, you know, it's like, come on, guys. I know it's down there. Then you would hear all kind of things. And But we made our way down. I think I was gone for about five hours. So you can imagine one of your, you know, uh, tribal mates gone that long and no one right. knew where I was. But I finally came back and everybody was like, whoa, you're alive. And I said, look, and I brought gifts. Yeah, you know, exactly. yeah. so, so I did all this for you guys. You know, hopefully it gives me some credit, some good graces with all of you that I was willing to go, you know, four hour journey to get these six little mangoes. And we ate the, the little mangoes. And uh, that's pretty much it to the story. I, I, I refused to radio in for a helicopter to give us the spotlight. I was like, no way, not me. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> so with this podcast, Sean has been watching the show from the very beginning. I just mainlined all 40 seasons in quarantine. And when I got to Winners at War, Earl, I have to tell you, I was very, very frustrated to see that you, amongst some other winners that I wanted to see, were not there. I've yeah. heard that you've been asked back to the show multiple times, but you've only ever played once. I'm wondering if you can detail for us which seasons you were called in for, and perhaps more importantly, why were you not on Winners at War? Um, which seasons were I? I was called in for, right after I won the first time, I was called in for Fans versus Favorites. Um, so I remember I said, wow, I just finished it, and they wanted me for Fans versus Favorites. And I ended up not doing that. I remember I was busy, I was traveling the world, and I said, sure, you know, if uh, you guys want me, I'll, I'll do it. But I never ended up doing it. Uh, either something didn't work out or whatever back then. But I did not do that show, Fans versus Favorite. But they did ask me, and I considered it. The second time, well, I guess the third time they asked me was Game Changers. So they wanted me on Game Changers. But then I think I just had my second knee surgery, too. And I remember going to the... Um, the uh, auditions or whatever, doing the stuff on camera. Because uh, I thought it was actually going to be uh, Heroes vs. Villains Part 2. Because I was wondering why I was not included on the first Heroes vs. Villains. I was like, why wasn't I a part of that? I was like, I said, I thought I was pretty heroic on my, on my season, the first unanimous winner. Um, but they called me in for Game Changers. And I remember seeing different people that were actually on Game Changers. I, I ran into a couple of people I, I knew. Uh, but, you know, the timing was still really bad for me. And I told them, like, you know what, you know, after doing after going through the audition and everything and, and doing that, I know I, I was pretty much going to be on there. I decided not to do it. Yeah, I just thought the timing was just bad in, in life. You know, I think me me and my wife were, you know, trying to have a kid. We were doing a lot of things and I, and I was just busy with work and it, it was it was totally fine with me. And then uh, with winners, winners at war, you know. My second kid was born three months early. And I remember the rumors going around about, you know, uh, winners at war. And there was no way in the world that I was going to leave uh, a, a newborn baby in an incubator, you know, my wife by herself. And while I go, I'm going to go have fun and do this show, even though I'd been talking for years, I said, hey, call me when you guys have an all winter season. And I was like, I want to show people like, you put me up against all the other winners because Fiji always gets a bad name. And I said, so like, no, it was still hard. We had great players, all that. I just made it look easy. It was still difficult. 
And uh, so that didn't work out with Winners at War. And I know I got a ton of emails about it and everything. But then the article came out about, you know, me having the kid uh, in the hospital. And I didn't end up that But mind you, if I was on that season, I don't think it would have worked out the way it did. That's, that's pretty, I'm pretty certain on that. I wish go that on. the case. Go yeah. on. Yeah. Because I, I wonder, like, how how uh, there has to be, like, an element of frustration watching that game play out, being like, I should be there. Yeah. Right? Like, how was that? Yeah. Now, mind you, there was a lot of calling between different winners. Everybody's trying to set up alliances and doing all this stuff. And I remember getting calls. And I was like, I just didn't say anything. I knew who I would align with, which I will not say. I knew what calls I, I did get. Um, I can, but I'm pretty certain if I was on that season, it would have turned out different. Not saying that I would have won, but it would have definitely turned out different. I think even how the old school is voted out by the new school, because I think they have the numbers, yeah, that wouldn't have happened that way at all. I'm, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have happened that way. And I, I stand by that. Anybody can challenge me on that. I, I'm telling you, it would have turned out different. I don't think Tony would have won that season. Old school, all the way. <laughs> old school forever. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm curious, you know, speaking of players that did not come back for Winners at War, I mean, mind you, you know, we're talking about old school, new school here. Not for nothing, there was only one player from the first 10 seasons of Survivor, if I have my numbers correctly, that played on the all winner season. I believe it was Ethan was the only player to return. Well, Amber. Among, oh, Amber, sorry. No disrespect to Amber. Two of, <laughs> sorry, two of the 10 uh, from the first 10 seasons. But I think that the contestant that had the most of our listeners, I can only speak on our listeners' behalf, outraged to not see back was Vesepia. Um, and even more disheartening was what we learned, I believe it was in 2020, when Vesepia did an interview with Entertainment Weekly in which she revealed the fact that she was not so much as called to return to the show. And I'm wondering, you know, you were the first black male winner. Vesepia was not only the first black female winner, but the first black winner of the series. Um, and the first black female until this current season, e until the latest season ever. Did you have any reaction to learning that Vesepia didn't so much as get a courtesy call, let alone an invitation? Listen, I love Vesepia. And I, not only was she the first black winner of Survivor, she was the first black winner of any reality TV program. That's what people need to understand. Of any reality show. She was the first black winner. And the fact that they have never, ever called her since that historic win is shameful. And that was their opportunity to actually do right by, okay, let's actually put her on. Because there basically weren't any black female winners on there at all for Winners at War. Like, why would they not call her? Like, you're just going to have all black men. But, you know, let's if you want to keep this diverse, like, why not? And I remember Jeff would try to say, like, oh, she just didn't have you know, that, that personality, you know, that, that fits. But again, I, I like I say, we have to play things differently, especially when you're trying to be the first. We can't go out there and be 100% of all, all of our energy. We have to kind of shift it to be able to navigate to the end. And that's what she had to do because she's a very lively, funny, cool person. But you can't do all of that on Survivor uh, when you're trying to be the first. Because a lot of times, you know, when... You, 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 they might have that stereotypical type of people might be on there and you get voted out. If you, you're too high energy, you get voted out. You're too this guy. So trying to find that even keel is, is challenging. And I think Jeff and maybe producers look at that, like even they would look at me like that. 
they're like, oh, you just don't have the personality. You know, we want these larger than life characters. I'm like, you know what? Larger than life characters for us in our situation don't win. Mm. They're popular, but they don't win. And I'm here to win. So I have to do whatever it takes. If I have to dial it down or do certain things uh, to kind of be more moderate and monotone, so be it. Whatever it takes me to get to the end. I'm not here to be famous. I'm here to win the game. That's how she was. I'm here to win and make a difference. And they that hurt her, and it shouldn't. They really should have done right by her and invited her to win as a war. That was wrong. I'm hoping that her time on the show has not ended. I'm hoping that, that she can be brought back in the future. Also, I just have to note that if Jeff was putting down this mandate of larger-than-life characters, I mean, not to name names, but then what was Nick doing on Winners at War? One just has to really <laughs> wonder. But but that yeah. aside, um, speaking of iconic players, you were very close with Yao Man during your season. He returned two seasons later from Micronesia, which is so interesting after what you said about that you could have been on Micronesia and imagining the two of you playing together once more. He's the only returning player from your season ever and was quickly booted due to his threat level. I ask about him as an example of someone that I feel the show has erased from its history, Vesepia being another example. Do you ever feel like the show is too focused on the new era as opposed to, you know, the early seasons, which I personally don't feel like get enough respect? I definitely think, I mean, this is just the uh, journey and transition of all shows that have to constantly keep reinventing itself. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with the, the fundamentals and the basics of the show. Because there's a lot of people that are purists with Survivor, like, get back to how it used to be, where it was real. Like, And I understand you have to keep evolving as a show. You have to, you know, put more twists and turns. You have to have all these different rules because it gets pretty predictable after a while. Like, okay, you just be, play the social game and you kind of win. You know, you just look at the numbers and you win. But, you know, I was totally fine with the different advantages and all that. We need more gameplay to make it more strategic. But you have to respect the people that, you know, pioneered some of those things that actually happened. I mean, what was Richard Rich Hatch pioneered an alliance? You know, like he was one of the first people to do that. Uh, you know, we pioneered the, a cookout. We actually did that first. Uh, I was the first unanimous winner, you know, on how to do that. I think we were the first ones to have a hidden immunity item. You know, that was used the way it's used now because mm -hmm. when they had it in um, Cook Islands, it was basically a god idol. It's like, okay, you can use this after the votes? Like, how do you even beat that person? So it was totally different on how it was used the season before us. And, and now the way it's used now is how we started it. It's, you know, finding the clues, getting in, and you have to really guess on when you can use that uh, thing. So I think... People should always remember what was done before that. And they say, like, oh, it's a faster-paced game. Like, it's not like we're, like, freaking 70, 80 years old. Like, I can play fast. I mean, I was playing fast before. You, know, you play according to however the game goes. And that's when, when they say, like, oh, I don't think old school can, you know, play like the people. In the, that's not true, actually. People are still people no matter what. And I told people the way I play that, that the game was I didn't know the rules, but I knew people. I understood how people think and how people work. And that will always be the fundamental basics of the game is emotional intelligence. That is the game. Yes, athleticism matters in certain aspects, but emotional intelligence is very, very important. And they call it social mixed with other things, but that, that's really important in, in going forward. 
Well, speaking of Yao Man, I do want to talk about the truck deal for a second because it's, of course, one of the most controversial moments in Survivor history when Yao Man makes a deal with Dreams where Yao Man gives him the truck in exchange for a promise uh, that if Dreams wins immunity at the Final Four, he will give that to Yao Man, which, of course, he does not do. Now, I saw in part of my research, Earl, that you said that Many people out there were toying around with deals, ideas of deals with the truck and with dreams. So I have to ask, did you have something in mind that you would have liked to struck a deal uh, with regards to the truck when you were out there? Yeah, we definitely all talked about, you know, whoever wins the truck, you know, what kind of deal we can strike because everybody had heard about this car curse. So that was, I had never heard of it, but I said like, wow, so people, they win the car, always lose. I said, okay, well then maybe there's some deals to be done on, on this. And so we had already talked about that. And uh, Yaman ended up being in a position where he uh, won the truck and was able to make the deal. Uh, Dreams was a strong player. And uh, we, him and I had an alliance, uh, me and Yaman, but Yaman didn't know I had an alliance with Dreams. And so I was fine regardless. Um, when they made the deal, I didn't know what kind of deal he was going to do, uh, but you know, nothing's written in stone. You know, it's just he did not have to honor that, and you would think he would, but it's Survivor. People backstab, lie, cheat, steal. The closer you get to that money, wow, that's what I, that's what you really learn. Everybody's really happy-go-lucky in those first like ten days, fifteen days. When you start getting like down to the final ten people. Oh, that's when the true backstabbing begins. That's when you can't trust anybody. And um, I thought it was a good deal he made, but you know, it was really up to Dreams. And I, I won't say that I did not have a hand in Dreams' decision on that because I did have a conversation with him one on one about what he should do, uh, and he did what he was supposed to do until it worked out. Well, I have to wonder because, of course, when Yao Man does not get immunity at the final four, uh, then you join Dreams and Cassandra to vote him out. And I think Yao sees that, at least momentarily, as kind of a backstab. Was that kind of a, a relief for you then because you were able to follow through with your plan of going to final tribal with an all black final? I mean, you wouldn't have known there was a final three, but getting the final three. Yeah. Uh, I was totally fine going to the end with Yao Man. I was. But, you know, you have to put yourself in the smartest position. It would have been tough going against him. But I knew what I did to even get keep Yao Man in the game. Like, I literally saved him from getting voted out second. You know, I'm the one that kept him on board. I was making all the decisions, doing all the social things. I was doing all of that stuff. You know, and I've said this before. And even Yao Man, you know, admits to that. Um, but we... I did give a disclaimer to everyone. I said, whenever we get to the top five, it's every person for themselves. So I said, I'm putting that out there. Everybody can do whatever you want. I understand you're close to a million dollars. So don't worry about backstabbing, doing all this. I remember I had that disclaimer, just like a lawyer, like, hey, once we get here, it's, it's every man for himself. And that is kind of what happened. It was really, really tough to vote out Yao Man. Because I remember they focused the camera on me because I sat there for a second. I said, I've never voted this way before where I know it's going to hurt someone's feelings. Everybody else was just like, just knocking them out. It's just part of the mm -hmm. vote. But this one was like, oh, man. It's like, I'm voting out one of my friends. 
I said, but you know what? He would respect that this is the smartest thing to do. You know, you want to increase your odds on at the end. I said, again, like they say, hey, take two goats to the end. They, they always say, or however they want to say it. So um, I wanted to increase my chances of winning the game. So I knew I had to vote him out. Yeah, which, I mean, hello, look how things turned out. You, you made yeah. the, the right move there. Um, you know, you mentioned the fact that at when it's, you get down to that final 10, you know, the cutthroat nature of the game really starts to come out from people. Are you of the belief that at that, you know, juncture in the game, you start to see people's, the real person? Or do you think that there's a way in which the game, like, does the game bring out who you really are? Or can the game change who you are because of the unique circumstance? Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I think it brings out who you are because you're you're faced with so many different types of challenges, not only the physical challenges, but the mental challenges, the psychological challenges, the emotional challenges. So you really get to see people, people learn about themselves. They don't even know, you know, most people just have a job and they go to work and they come home and, you know, they go out, they drink with their friends. They, they you know, that's their life. You're never faced with, these type of situations where people are from all over you know, the country and you have to, you know, make this alliance and do these challenges together. You have to fi figure out puzzles together. You have to find food together. You have to eat together. You have to sleep together. You have to do all these things and you're forced to do it. So you learn how people really are. You learn a lot about yourself, whether you're a patient person, whether you're a domineering person, uh, whether you are a poser, you know, because some people try to act like they're one way, but then they get exposed. Like, you're really not that smart. You Try to act like you're smart, but you're really not. Or you try to act like you're brave, and you really are kind of fearful of a lot of things. Like you, you learn these things about people as, as things go along. So I would say yes, you you don't create a personality out there. I, I think you or you can enhance what you already have. It's the same way when you have money. Like they say, once you have the money or have a, a million is not that much, but it brings out who you already are. Whether you're going to be an asshole even more. Or are you going to be a, the giving person you always have, have been? So that's kind of how Survivor is. Are you going to just, you know, keep being how you are, learn about yourself? Or it'll be hard to just be somebody else. Now, the other show I'm on now, you could pose and be something. You can pretend to be a lot of things, actually. Uh, but that's, a, that's another conversation. But yes, to answer your question, yes, um, mm. it enhances who you are. We talked a little bit about twists and sounds like you're a fan of twists, but I'm wondering, um, and I know I've also heard that you have pitched twists in the past to Survivor, which I'm happy to talk about, uh, but I'm wondering with season 41 and 42, which were very twist heavy, do you think that the show has gone too far or are you, do, or do you enjoy it? Like the, the merge twist, I mean, you had a sort of not a fake merge twist, but that merge twist where Michelle gets eliminated because your uh, the merge tribe is split in half. It's not totally dissimilar from what happened in 41 and 42, but then add the hourglass on top of that and the turning back time. Um, how do you feel about sort of the current state of the twists and gameplay? I, I don't mind a twist long as it doesn't make it unfair. Like if somebody really plans a lot of different things and you just like, oh, we're just going to draw rocks. Like, that's kind of unfair to what someone did strategically to get in a certain position. And then it's just just pure luck. Like, yes, it's a lot of luck that plays a part in Survivor. But certain twists, like what happened with us, it was just out of nowhere. But I try to understand where the producers were coming from 
our season was so thrown off with having going from 20 players to 19. I think they were kind of scrambling to like make things right as much as they could, however they could, no matter if it was unfair to us. Uh, so it definitely put me at a disadvantage with that twist, and it puts other people at disadvantages with twists. But that's just part of the game, and you know, and it's it's shocking to the tribe, it's shocking to the audience, but it keeps you on the edge of your seat. You know, you can think everything is going really smoothly, and boom, the floor drops out on you. Like, whoa, what are you gonna do when the twist happens? Okay, for me, I had to rethink my whole plan and bring somebody else to replace Michelle. You know, you have to think again. So. It's okay for a twist, like if it just forces you to have to think again. But if it just totally ruins somebody, I'm not a big fan of that. Is there a twist that you have pitched or that you haven't pitched that you would like to see in a future season? Oh, a twisted. Uh, I don't remember. I've pitched many things. And one was definitely, <laughs> I'll say, uh, Island of the Idols. I definitely, right after I won, I told that idea to a producer about, like, yeah, I think it'd be cool if you guys did something like this one day. Cause that way we don't have to go back and play again, but we can like help other people. Cause I remember it, it would have been nice if I, I remember saying it would have been nice if, if part of the reward was there would be some player, some former winner to give us a clue or to give you tips or help encourage you or something like that. So, Cause I remember being in that position, like, oh, it'd be great if that was one of the rewards. Like, wow, somebody from the past was on a boat or something. And what do they do? It took a while, but they actually incorporated that. Not saying they got it from me, or maybe they did, but that's when they had the, I think it was Cochran was on yeah. a reward. But I definitely clearly pitched that before. Clearly pitched that. But I'm sure other people have pitched other things as well. You know, they're not going to write me a check for it. No. I love the idols. Oh, maybe they should. Maybe yeah, they should. Because <laughs> I literally had said that. I do appreciate the perspective, though, of like being pro twist, because I feel like the common answer is, you know, I think from a lot of the more vocal fans is we want the show back to how it was, back to basics. And I think it's interesting your perspective being an old school player, but that is in favor of changes to the game. I feel yeah. like that's a very unique perspective. Well, I'm a fan of, of gamesmanship. It's about game and, and strategy and all that. Like people that want to survive to stay the same, it, it would not survive 43 seasons if it always stayed the same. It's just that's just impossible. I mean, because before we could not post about it. We didn't. We could never post pictures and promote the show. We had to pretend like it was live. Like I was not even allowed to go anywhere before the season even aired. Like I would say, "Hey, I'm going to be going to this uh, event." They said. Don't take any pictures. Don't do this. Like, I, I could not do anything. And now they give everyone photos and you can post about it. Talk about, hey, make sure you tune. Like, that's odd. But that's how it is now because the power of social media. There was no Facebook when I was on the show. I mean, something that Sean and I, we've been recapping the Challenge USA right now because of the crossover with so many Survivor contestants. And one thing that I think we've been shocked by is watching players in real time getting in very real and aggressive fights on Twitter. And I, to your point, it's like back in the day, that would have never happened. And I don't know if that's Paramount Plus allowing it or them sort of going out of pocket there, but like it's shocking to watch these contestants going after one another in real time. Yeah, well, they they figured they just can't control it. Social media became so big with Twitter because Twitter wasn't even around then. 
that right. they can't control it. People want to talk about them being on the show. They want to talk about their experience. They want to promote it. And so they CBS just eventually embraced it. Like, okay, you guys can do this, but they try to control it as much as they can. But for us, no way in the, in the world we could mention anything about Survivor. I couldn't tell anybody I was ever on Survivor, anything until the show actually aired. So imagine that six, it was almost six months. I couldn't even mention I was on Survivor. And now that six months, everybody's promoting, talking about it, everything. It's it's just totally different now. I want to get your thoughts, speaking of things that are different now, I want to get your thoughts on the diversity initiative at CBS that was rolled out in 2021, mandating 50% POC cast for all reality shows. I'm wanting to know if you think that it's been effective so far, and also if there are ways in which you feel the problem remains ongoing. But I think this question is made even more interesting by something that you enlightened us on earlier, which is to say that these conversations that are happening both on Big Brother the last two seasons and the last two seasons of Survivor, they are not new conversations in the game, but perhaps conversations that are now being allowed screen time. So obviously we as the audience see the changes being made in terms of casting, but it sounds like there are other changes that have been made in allowing the show to be perhaps the word is more authentic. And I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. Um, it's definitely more authentic now. Uh, a lot has changed. I know a lot of the people in the new era, you got to think, you know, now People have the numbers to feel more comfortable to actually be vocal about things. Before, it'd be like maybe one or two of us, and we can't make as much noise. And there was no Twitter, and there was no anything like that to really enhance our voice. But those conversations were being had back in 2006, 2007. All of these things were talked about, uh, having more uh, diversity in front of the camera and behind the camera, more producers, like all of that was talked about, but the voice just wasn't loud enough because we didn't have the social media enhancement and we didn't have the numbers back then. Like now you have a lot more people of color that have been on different seasons so we can collectively come together and like, whoa, we have a big group now. But before it was like, what, me, the sepia, just a couple other people. It's not much noise we can make then. You know, we did all we could, but it's, it's nice to see that these changes are happening more and those conversations are included as part of the storyline for the public to, to see because it was part of the storyline when we were there. It just wasn't aired that way, but it was always a part of the storyline. There was always something going on that had to do with you know racial undertones, microaggressions. That was always there. So we were always fighting against those things. And I'm not saying everybody's on... You know, Survivor, you know, we always have to deal with that. And there's all these different races. Like, no, it's, it's not like that. But there's always one or two that they're fish out of water. They've never been around other groups of people and they don't know how to act. They don't know how to be or they have these preconceived notions or these stereotypes already in their head. And that plays out on the show. And CBS would play cleanup a lot of times to make sure it didn't come out that way. But now they're allowing that to be out that way. And it's, 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 it's making it open for these conversations that needed to be had. And I'm glad to see that it, it's happening. That so I want to talk about I want to talk about Jeff for a second because I find Jeff's reaction to Survivor Fiji very interesting because in the lead up to Survivor Fiji airing in an interview with Reality Blurred, he called it one of the five best seasons they've ever done. 
Uh, and then just a few years later, in the lead up to Heroes vs. Villains, Jeff ranked Survivor Fiji as his third least favorite season ever. So <laughs> I'm kind of curious what you make of uh, the sort of flip-flop reaction on Fiji, and not just from Jeff, but also from the fans. It's a very polarizing season. It's got a strong cult following on Twitter. If you're if you're looking up Survivor Fiji, you'll find a, a very, very strong following. That and Survivor Vanuatu, I find, in particular— um, and then many others will rank it very low. So uh, do you have any thoughts about why that might be? Yeah. Well, I always tell people to ask yourself the question, why do you rank it so low? Like, why is it ranked low? It had all the twists and turns of other seasons. It, it had all of the, the gameplay, gamesmanship. I mean, are you mad because people were recruited? I, I, like, why, why does that even matter? They recruited people to answer the call because, hey, we're not having enough diversity. So... We're going to have to go and find people to be on the show because people aren't applying and people weren't applying because no one knew about the show because as you said before it was more of a white show so people of color never even watched survivor so we didn't even know anything about it so why would we apply so the recruiting matters so you always have to ask yourself why do you rank fiji low like what happened what was not entertaining about it you didn't like twists but there's been worse twists than that i mean there was i mean some people hate Thailand and all these seasons, but you know, it it still is the show. The basics and fundamentals are still there. It's still a show about alliances, friendships, you know, backstabbing, challenges, puzzles, you know, figuring out yourself. It's it's still what it is. The essence of Survivor is every season. So why would you hate it? And so with Jeff, it's interesting. I didn't know that he said it was one of his favorite at first. So that's funny to actually hear that. I had and to go in the Wayback Machine to find that oh, one. Well, yeah, yeah. And then to have him turn around and say it was ranked low. Here's what I've always said. Like, Jeff is a human being. And Jeff has his favorites. He has his bromances and he has that. You know, for whatever reason it is, he might see himself in certain players. But he shows, he definitely shows favoritism to certain people whether they have they come back several times or who he is willing to uh, promote in certain ways or give more opportunities to that's just Jeff being Jeff um, I thought and I've said this publicly I thought it was irresponsible socially irresponsible of him being that that was the uh, a very diverse cast and season that he vocally said is one of the worst seasons he's ever done when he said it's like like, why would you say that knowing what that season represents? Like, why would you pick that season? Find another season. Like, find one of the cookie cutter seasons. Like, why would you say that about that particular season? And what are your reasons for that, Jeff? I know one is what he was going through personally in his life. That was affecting a lot of how he felt after that. Oh, yeah, I, I can I can dig out the crates in that and pull out receipts. So uh, I know that that was going on. That might be the reason why that time in his life, he just doesn't like that season because he seemed like a nice guy when I met him. Um, and like, like you said, he ranked it up pretty high. And then next, you know, it's ranked pretty low. Sounds like a personal problem. Well, yeah, and, and you know, you you mentioned the fact that you found it irresponsible. I have to say, not for nothing, to think about a show like RuPaul's Drag Race, for instance, RuPaul would never release a, a ranking of the seasons. That would just never happen. It's kind of like they're the children. They're your children, right? It's like you don't rank them. I find it odd that Jeff even partakes in the discourse around 
the ranking of the seasons. Oh, you want to um, give me? Want me give you more on that? Please. Okay. <laughs> believe me, I like Jeff a lot. He's a he's a great guy. We're both from Kansas. Both went to school in Washington. Moved to California. Like we have these these parallel paths. Um, one thing that I found very odd, and other fans have said the same thing. I remember in the um, reunion show. This is the only time Jeff has ever done that. I never figured out why. He he said, like, you know, after I won, he said, let me get a count of hands. Who all would have voted for Yao Man? I was like, such a random thing to do after I just won. And you're going to ask my castmates who would have voted for somebody else if they would have made it to him. He's never done that before. And he hasn't done it since, but he did it in our season. And I wonder, does he even know? Is there something in his sub- subconscious? Like, were you not a fan of how it ended? Like, it, it was always a weird thing to me. Weird thing to me. But that just shows you. It is weird. Uh, and and I, I do want to dig in a little bit more on the subject of Jeff, because the Jeff of seasons 41 and 42 is a very different Jeff than the Jeff from the early days of Survivor. I mean, I'm just thinking offhand about the season after yours in Survivor China. He asks Courtney if she suffers from anorexia during a tribal council, um, which or maybe it's the reunion, but still uh, an incredibly inappropriate question to ask someone point blank on national television and at a live show nonetheless. Um, so I'm just wondering for your, you know, your perspective as a viewer of the show in the subsequent years and watching that evolution of Jeff and your perspective having played the game and, and knowing him, what are your thoughts on sort of the Jeff of today in contrast to the Jeff of before? I think this is a more sensitive Jeff that we see um, these days. I think we are seeing the evolution of Jeff. Uh, I think he went through very different periods of life. You know, first it was like, oh, a survivor, he's the host. He's doing all these great things. He's sure learning. But I think he went through a period where, like, I can do more than just Survivor. I, he started getting typecast. He said, I'm going to do all these other things now. He had a talk show. He had another show. And, you know, that didn't work out. But he was just trying to say, okay, you know, maybe Survivor is my thing. And so he started doing that again. And he said, okay, all the things that happened in the past, maybe I didn't do everything exactly right. Let me try this now uh, to try to make up for the, some of the, my thoughts back then and so we've been seeing this evolution to where you know and he's really really good at what he does that's why he deserves all the emmys and everything um you know he he, he asks very thoughtful questions but he's done this a million times now um and i think now what you're seeing is power jeff now he's the executive producer it's no longer you know mark burnett's part of that mark said hey you can have it i have more than enough money. And so now he has more power in the decisions he's making, but he does seem like he's open to trying different things. And But he is coming from a perspective of an executive producer as well as being the host. Before he was just the host. And I think he was a smaller level producer, but now he has a lot of power and a lot more money. And he's a lot older too now. So you learn a lot from your past mistakes and past thoughts. And so uh, I think we're seeing a uh, evolve Jeff um, I like it. I haven't talked to him in, in years. And like I said, he's a really nice guy and I've, I've always liked him. But I think he learned a lot about himself through these seasons, just as, as he's seen other people learn about themselves. So he too is learning and evolving. So I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing. 
So I want to wrap up our time by asking about the rumored Legends season. And honestly, at this point, I'm not sure how rumored it is and how much it's just Sean and I willing it into just being. Just keeping it going. We're yeah, keeping but, it going. But we are a few years out from season 50 of Survivor. As you know, we had Heroes versus Villains for the 20th anniversary, for the 20th season, rather. Uh, we got Winners at War, which really seemed to cap off an era of the show. 50 is a huge milestone for any show, and it's our dream that, you know, they will call upon players like Vesepia, for instance, to finally come back. Uh, so the two questions would be, are you in for the Legends season, season 50, and who else that would you want to see on that cast? People that are deserved returnees that have not yet either gotten the call or, or been on for whatever reason. Um... I would be in for that. Uh, depends on what's going on in life. Let's see. We're on season 43 now. Right. So that's not that far away. It's so not. I would still have enough gas in the, in the tank for that. Um, yeah, I, w- I would definitely be in on that. Uh, I'm, I would be curious on how they would get 20 players out of that. Uh, which 20 players? Like that were, you know, is it everybody from Winners at War? You know, you know. Some people from that, and you know, yes, I want to see Vesepi. I would want to see Todd. Uh, heck, I wouldn't mind seeing Richard Hatch out there again. Um, Us too. It would be a, a lot of people I would love to see again. And I think CBS makes the mistake of thinking that it always has to be this new era of people. Like the, you know, like, hey, I'm on social media just like anybody else. Just because I played a long time ago doesn't mean anything. I tell people, like, hey, I'm like you know Vince Carter in the slam dunk contest. I only needed to do it once to be a legend. That was it. One time, mm-hmm. and you do what you do, and you're done. Uh, but I would do it again for a legend season, and I would love to see some of the old school players. But I don't mind playing against some of the new school players because you know what? The rules are still the rules, and you still got to watch out for everybody, including me. <laughs> okay, wait. Is one there last anybody question. from? So, sorry, is there anybody from your cast that you would love to see back? Oh, I would love to see Yao Man come back. I would love to see uh, Michelle because I think she got a raw deal. She deserves. Uh, yeah. I want to see Dreams. I couldn't believe Dreams wasn't on Heroes versus Villains. I was like, wasn't he considered a villain? And he was good. He made it to the end. Uh, so like, I I never understood why he never got an opportunity to go back. He was he was a great player. He was young and athletic. Been great. Okay, and and I want to ask this. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the best seasons of Survivor, and you know, you get those seasons like Pearl Islands and Kagayan, the ones that everyone mentions. Heroes versus Villains, for instance. What is one of the best seasons, in your opinion, that is not given its due outside of Fiji? Uh, good question. It's not given its due. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of seasons, uh, for sure. I think. Um, Ooh, uh, I, I, I was about to say something old school, but I just found it interesting. But uh, even what's his name, Chris did one when it was like all women versus him. Oh, oh Vanuatu. Vanuatu. What weird, what a weird ending to that. It's like, we probably never see something like that again. Um, I don't think I have one that just doesn't give the the get the credit. I, I, I mean, I think. Um, Survivor China was good. Um, and what's this, the time when James was on there the second time? Which one was that? Micronesia. Micronesia. That's the one I would have been on. Um, yeah. I think that gives, gets a lot of credit. 
uh, for sure. Uh, Micronesia, it would have been different if I've been on there, though. That's that's for sure. Uh, I wish I could answer that for you, Evan. I, I I don't have enough in the Rolodex of seasons to actually pick like one that just didn't get enough credit. I, I think they all we'll accept. We'll accept Vanuatu. I was just we'll going to say Vanuatu is an answer. Okay, I think that was a that was a pretty cool win to do that. <laughs> And can we just ask you before we let you go, we just recapped uh, your Snake in the Grass episode uh, on a recent episode. And I just want to touch down briefly on that. Like, what was that experience like of being back on camera and then getting to play with two Survivor legends, particularly with Yule, who, you know, you you share the fact that you guys won, not only are winners of Survivor, but won back-to-back seasons of Survivor. How, How weird was that? Yeah. Uh, it was great doing a show like that. I mean, those guys definitely had an advantage over me. I didn't know anything about the show. Like I, like I think they knew it was like the mold mixed with something else. I didn't have a clue. I was literally on a beach in Hawaii with my family, uh, and they called me and say like, "Hey, are you still interested in this show?" <laughs> like literally, I wasn't even thinking about it in any kind of way. I was in full dad family mode, and I flew from Hawaii to Costa Rica. So no training. I didn't know anything about the show. I didn't know the rules. I didn't know what it was called. And I didn't learn what the rules were until we were standing there with Bobby Bones and he explained, this is what you're going to be doing. Like, that's how I went in. But that's how I went in Survivor. I didn't know anything right. about that. And so I was like, okay, I knew I wasn't the snake. And I didn't know. I said, oh, you would make a good snake because of, you know, it's opposite of who he really is. And the, the main thing that really happened, I never saw Malcolm's season. I'd never seen any of his seasons. I didn't know anything about him. So he could have told me anything. And so I was kind of relying on Yule to get more information about Malcolm. But it goes by so fast. And we're not allowed to talk. That's what people don't understand. We're not allowed to talk to each other. We had like one night where we were able to talk for about an hour. But it was like telling each other about ourselves. We, you can say anything. And the rest of the show, nothing. So that's why it's more of a guessing game at the end on who it might be. Do you think it's unfair, though, that Malcolm had the opportunity to win $100,000 while the three of you had the opportunity to split $100,000? You think like me, that is great. Because what I thought when I was going there, I had a chance to win $100,000. It was like, okay, that's worth that. When they told me, I wish they had the camera on my face. Mm. Hey, and and the other people get to split a hundred thousand. I was like, split? Like, you mean thirty three thousand dollars? Like, I came all the way here for what is that twelfth place on Survivor? I was like, <laughs> this is a waste. I literally like, this is a waste of my time for thirty three thousand. Mm-hmm. It would have been great if all of us got a hundred thousand. I probably would have played a little different, but splitting a hundred, not worth my time. Like, it literally. So once you, so once you heard thirty three, you thought. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this piece of rebar just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> and not all. I'm not putting my full effort into this throw. I'll I'll tell you what actually happened with that. So, I, they told me well, I wasn't supposed to say, anybody, but there was literally a line of cameramen on the beach. I could not, so they would not let me throw it all the way. And the reason why I had to throw it because it was pretty long and awkward, and I couldn't swim with it. And because we had these metal detectors at the same time, so I said. Like we do on Survivor, we throw stuff on the beach while we're swimming, and then we go put everything together. So it's basically throwing everything on the beach, and then we put it together there. But I had a maybe a six feet to work with from far away, floating, to hit this part of the sand. Really hard when people were all standing there. 
because I could have chucked it 100 yards. And so that's kind of what happened. It hit the sand and then like, oh, then the waves kind of washed it away. But I think, you know, later Malcolm probably stepped on it <laughs> and we didn't see it. So it was nothing I did on purpose. It wasn't like it was some terrible throw. And they edited it to where it looked like I threw it straight in the water. <laughs> no, that did not happen. Uh, it, it made for a good fun and a good storyline, but I knew they would be looking at me. But none of the clues fit me. That's what was interesting. Well, the clues in general are just a little all over the place. We've been trying to recap this show, but we've had a little bit of a little bit of trouble trying to understand the game. Um, but we were very glad to see both you and Yule on the show. Yeah. No yeah. thoughts on no thoughts on Malcolm from from me. Um, but Earl, I, I really I want to thank you so much. We are such enormous fans of yours, as I know our listeners are. And justice for Fiji, we feel very strongly about Fiji. I'm actually someone who I don't really care for a lot of the seasons that typically get ranked very high, a la Kagayan, as an example. And I think Fiji is well worth the rewatch. And I think you are one of the best players to ever play the game, one of the best winners for sure. And we absolutely are holding out hope for this Legends season and that you would be among it. All right, Legends, yes. Thank you so much, Evan and Sean. It's, it's been amazing. And glad to give you all this interview you know i rarely do interviews but you guys are fun and ask fantastic questions thank you thank you thank you and i have to say also i just rewatched fiji in the past three days in advance of this interview and i can vouch for it it's got everything anybody wants the characters are incredible rocky michelle dreams is an all is an all-time character all-time villain right um but complex cassandra i love um so bring her back go rewatch fiji it's it's amazing how it gets such a low ranking but like i said you gotta ask yourself why why do people feel that way about it and Lisi, we've never seen anybody oh, like Lisi on TV was, before. What a what a nut bar she oh, is, God. and it's great. Exactly. So you have such an array of characters. Like it's so amazing, but low ranking, like because you don't like the twist. We're the ones affected by the twist, you know. Like, yeah. And that, as you said, there have been far worse twists on this show, worse. particularly in the '30s. Like that 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 does not hold water. Yeah. You are absolutely yeah. correct. You're correct. This was great, guys. So much fun. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. All these moments. Yeah. So much fun. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Wow, Earl, a true legend. Well, if you enjoyed that interview, please make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. It helps new listeners find us. Also, you can follow us on at Drop Your Buffs Pod on Instagram to get updates and silly little memes. And if you want to see the video from this interview and the video from all of our interviews that we have done here on Drop Your Buffs, you can check out our Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash drop your buffs, where we post exclusive episodes, video interviews, early episodes, and so much more. Thank you for listening. Bye.